Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at wealthactually.com. And now, here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. We're in the midst of coronavirus nonsense right now, and as everybody has been cooped up, starting to see some increase in interest in divorce and other family issues. Today, we're getting to talk with Evan Schein. He's the partner at Berkman, Becker, Newman, and Schein, and he's the head of litigation there. And he's going to talk to us a little bit, not only about the trends that we're seeing, but also about what you can do to keep yourself safe and as plan in the midst of all of this litigation and potential divorce that we're seeing in this environment. Welcome aboard, Evan. Frazier, it's great to be with you, and thank you for having me on. Well, as I said, and we were talking a little bit before, that confined spaces and quarantine did not necessarily result in happy marriages and uh, causes all sorts of issues. How has your phone been ringing? Has it been ringing off the hook or is it quiet or what's happening in the divorce world right now? You hit it right on the head. You know, as a family law attorney in New York City, working with high net worth individuals, I've been inundated with calls from current clients, with people who are calling and saying, Evan, I need your help. I need your help to get out of this situation. No, look, the coronavirus situation, everybody's been dealing with it for the past three months in some way, shape or form. We're living in quarantine and we've been on lockdown pretty much 24 hours a day. Right. And it's impacted all of us. You know, life has changed. And for those individuals who are in happy marriages and relationships and for those individuals who are in not so happy relationships and strained marriages, everybody's feeling an increased level of anxiety, an increased level of stress, financial and otherwise. When I work with clients in all different industries, all different sectors, and I can tell you that there isn't an individual in any sector, current client, person I've spoken with, the sports and entertainment industries, the financial industry, the professional service and hospitality industries, that isn't experiencing some degree of stress. People are experiencing real financial concerns, you know, at all levels of wealth, what's happening in the economy, with what's happening in the market, job loss, compensation changes at all levels. With everybody on lockdown, people are working remotely, schools are closed, children are learning virtually with parent assistance, and everyone is experiencing change and stress, and everyone's trying to figure out how to deal with it and to navigate it. There's no playbook for how to handle it. And as a result, there's a a real impact on marriages, partnerships, relationships. And I expect a big increase, and I'm seeing it already, in divorce filings going forward. So we're now in a virtual world. It's tough to have in-person conferences. The court system is not in-person at the moment, and we're going toward a Zoom conference world. How has that impacted the divorce process? Has it Everyone's sort of fumbling along trying to figure things out, I'm sure. So there's equality in adoption of technology, you know, you're trying to get judges who may be not used to getting involved. But has the technology component of interacting with people had a positive or negative effect on the divorce process? For couples who are contemplating divorce, the coronavirus situation, what everybody's dealing with, it's likely going to be the push forward. Right. And for couples who were not contemplating separating divorce or transition and they thought they're in a happy relationship and a great marriage, 
there's going to be a big amount of people, a large amount of people that rethink their own relationship. When people call and say, what can I do? The truth is, look, you said it. Courts have been shut down. New filings for divorce right now are not able to go forward. And this has been an adjustment for everybody. And from a technological standpoint, courts are starting to implement virtual court appearances. I think judges and the court system is starting to use and figure out technology, use it in ways that they never anticipated having to use it. And the truth is, the virtual court appearances that I'm a part of and that I've been having two to three times a week, when it works well, it's efficient. I do think this is going to be a wave of the future. I do anticipate there being changes to the legal system. I do think their courts are going to look to implement virtual court appearances going forward. But at the end of the day, in my world, you know, working with couples, working with families, there is an element to this that does require being in court, being in person, having that contact in person that you just can't replace in the virtual court system. But for a lot of other appearances and for a lot of other, there's a lot of benefits to what's happening on Zoom and what's happening on Skype. And I think not only in the matrimonial and the legal system world, for all industries, I can see Zoom and Skype and virtual appearances being something that revolutionizes all industries. Total agreement there. I think people are going to start to understand that they can do a lot of things remotely. So for a lot of listeners that may be cooped up with their spouse and they're in an uncomfortable place, they feel unprotected, and the idea of a divorce is starting to loom larger and larger in their minds, what would you tell people to think about in terms of getting ready for that, assuming they haven't talked to an attorney yet and they're just starting to try to understand what they can do to get from here to there? For someone who's contemplating, should I get divorced? Should I not get divorced? Here's something I always recommend. Be prepared, be organized. And what that looks like is make a list of questions, things you want answered, anything that's on your mind, right? You know, the old expression, there's no such thing as a silly question. In the divorce world, it's true. This is a transition for people. For many people, it's the first time he or she is going through something like this, and everyone has questions. Write down your questions, do your research, organize yourself financially, put together financial documents, tax returns, bank statements, credit card statements. Organize yourself because right now, until the courts start accepting new filings, moving forward with a divorce in some respects, is on hold, but there's a lot that people can do to be prepared, be organized. So if and when the time is to move forward, you're prepared. Some interesting advice I received and heard that I've told people too, is that if you're trying to work through the emotions of divorce, that's not necessarily the job of the divorce attorney. And it's not that they can't help and that bedside manner can't help you get through this difficult time. But if you're working through the emotions of it, the divorce attorney is to help you get through the process of divorce and to make sure that your interests are protected. Dealing with the emotional component of it, that's more the realm of psychotherapist or something like that. Does that square with your thinking or do you have a different opinion? Now, Fraser, I agree. And, you know, something I always recommend to my clients, put a team of professionals around you. You're going through and you're about to embark on a life-altering transition which is not easy. It's not easy emotionally. It's not easy financially. You need to surround yourself with experts, right? Professionals who specialize in a particular area. Something I always recommend to my clients is working, 
with a professional, such as a therapist, a psychotherapist, working with an estate planning attorney, working with a business attorney, an intellectual property attorney, if necessary, working with a wealth manager, finding professionals who are excellent that you can surround yourself with. Because going forward, there is going to be a need for all of these professionals to work together for your benefit. But I do think everyone has a role, right? Everyone has a role and a specialty and an area of expertise. And sometimes I find in the divorce process, when too many people wear too many hats, it's a recipe for disaster. So a big part of my practice is working with other professionals, identifying the right fit for my client and working in a team approach for a client's benefit. Let's veer toward the positive a little bit here. And maybe some people who are quarantined, maybe the idea of marriage, this has been a good dry run for them. And marriage is something that's in the offing or people who are going to get married are in the process of doing that now. We talk a lot about prenuptial planning when dealing with our various clients and understanding that marriage is more than an emotional bond and a religious one, but it's also a business and transactional one, as unromantic as that sounds. What are some of the prenuptial components that people should be thinking about before they sort of move into this new and brave world? First thing I tell people, when someone calls regarding a prenup, you know, I say, look, a prenuptial agreement, it's insurance on your marriage. And you're right. Look, it's not an easy conversation. It's not a very romantic thing to say, but it's true. And I'll tell you that nine out of 10 times when I say that, that a prenuptial agreement is insurance on your marriage, you know, the response that I get is, well, that's depressing. And my response to that is, well, it is. But what's more depressing is thinking about a prenup, not getting a prenup, going through a divorce and wishing you had one, right? Because really what a prenuptial agreement does, like any good insurance policy, it protects against a worst case scenario. And in my world, that worst case scenario is a divorce. So when someone calls about a prenuptial agreement, the first thing I say is have a conversation with your partner, with your significant other early. Have a conversation early into the process and be transparent. And look, having a conversation about money, about finances is never easy. But not having that conversation is a recipe for disaster and arguably the biggest reason I find people end up in my office years later because the conversation about money, savings, expectations, financial plans never took place. And so if you can discuss with your significant other or partner a prenuptial agreement, and while it's a hard conversation, what it does is it allows you to have a conversation and a difficult one, often for the first time, about those things, about money, about savings, about expectations. When I work with clients going through a prenuptial agreement, you know, I always ask, what is it that you're looking to protect? Is it real estate? Is it a business that either you own or have an equity or partnership interest in? Is it family wealth? Is it real estate? Is it investments that you're coming into the marriage with? Because if I can understand what a client's goal is and what a client is looking to protect, I can assist in a client having that difficult conversation with his or her partner or significant other. I also find it incredibly helpful, once I understand what a client's goal is, to work with other professionals, as I mentioned, trust and estate attorneys, financial advisors, business attorneys, especially when the prenuptial agreement is going to be a complex agreement and when you're working with certain professionals in specific industries, finance, 
sports and entertainment. One of the things that I've seen in my experiences, and you touched on it, is the interplay between the different experts. And for me, more on the trust and estate side and the wealth planning side, I'm a hammer looking for a nail and trusts can be the answer to every problem and question. But it has to intersect with what you're putting together in a prenuptial agreement, or you could create all sorts of disconnect and problems. It also goes to the idea of making sure assets are titled correctly and that that effectuates different goals, whether it's asset protection, prenuptial planning, or tax efficiency. And it really underscores your comment that if you don't have all of the different experts in the room together and people are generally on the same page and there's a commitment to transparency, you could be doing a lot of piecemeal planning that ends up in conflict with itself. And that gets to be annoying and expensive to unwind later. Yeah, no, it's true. Look, and I've seen that, right? The annoying side, the expensive side. I think the biggest mistake that a professional and a family law attorney can make is thinking that he or she can do everything, right? You're right. When working on a prenuptial agreement, there is such an interplay between the matrimonial side, the family part of this, the tax components, the trust in estate, the wealth planning components. It would be a mistake to not consult with experts in those fields. And I've seen it where prenuptial agreements are drafted years later, someone's getting divorced and there's an inevitable challenge to an agreement and parts of the agreement conflict. The language is contradictory. The language didn't take into consideration trusts or tax considerations. And it ends up being really concerning and problematic. And it's a position that if handled correctly in the beginning and handled correctly when going through the prenuptial agreement process, and really done the way it should be, which is working with a team of professionals in all the different industries and sectors that we mentioned, the goal is to create a perfect prenup that stands the test of time to avoid exactly what you just said, the expensive, the annoying, the inevitable situation where years later, there's a challenge to an agreement, but that insurance policy that really should have protected you, didn't. When you deal with different jurisdictions, you're a New York attorney, but people have, they get married in different places. People come from all sorts of areas and meet each other. How do you deal with jurisdictional advantage or do you try to get everything into New York, which you obviously have a deep understanding of that law? What's the analysis that goes into that? A lot of times I'll work and consult with attorneys in different jurisdictions, whether it's Los Angeles, Miami, Texas, a number of states. When I'm putting together a prenuptial agreement, essentially the laws of New York, right, are going to control. And you can put into a prenuptial agreement a choice of law provision, which essentially is that even if a couple relocates or moves out of the jurisdiction where the agreement is drafted in, let's take the scenario of New York by way of example, let's say a couple five years after they're married move to California. In the event of a divorce, the laws of New York will control the prenuptial agreement. You know, it's an important consideration. You know, quite frankly, it's a consideration that I don't think is given enough consideration by attorneys when putting together a prenuptial agreement, because you're right, people move about, especially in the world we're living in nowadays, where people might live in New York for a few years, then move to California, then move back to New York, and then some other place. And I think like anything, the agreement that's drafted should, to the extent possible, consider all different scenarios, all different possibilities, because at the end of the day, you want the strongest possible prenuptial agreement to give you that insurance no matter where you're living. 
and part of the jurisdiction issue, and I'm trying to dust off the bar exam and whatever legal training I remember in this area, but <laughs> the concept of community law and community property, it's a big difference being in a non-community property state versus a community property state. How does that work exactly? Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, you know, you go from state to state and the terminology changes. In the state of New York, New York is not an equal state. And what I mean is New York property assets that are accumulated during the marriage. In the event of a divorce, in the absence of a prenuptial agreement, assets are divided equitably. And equitably may mean 50-50, or it could be some other division, right, based on a whole host of considerations and factors. Other states have an automatic 50-50 equal sharing of assets and accounts and investments and real property in the event of a divorce, irrespective of how long the marriage is. So when you go from state to state and you start analyzing the domestic relations law, there are vast differences. And so by putting language into a prenuptial agreement that takes into consideration those differences, eventual confusion in the absence of language and prenuptial agreement that dictates what state's laws are going to control, what ends up creating a situation where an agreement that you thought protected you ended up not if you're moving to a different state, if it's not clear what laws of which state really control. Right. I deal with all sorts of people who call and say, okay, I've had it with New York. I'm tired of the taxes. I'm going to Florida. They change everything. They voter registration, the residents, they quit their clubs, they quit their churches and temples and move down there. And I, I think many times people forget to make sure the prenuptial planning is in effect and make sure that that is not a surprise at the end if they've gone and done all this and it creates other types of issues. It goes back to the whole the planning, right? And all the more reason why trust and estate attorneys need to work with family law attorneys and why both of those attorneys need to work with other attorneys and other people who specialize in dealing with certain things, whether it's real estate, whether it's tax. Because when I look at a prenuptial agreement, what I really think it is, it's preserving and it's protecting something that's important to a person. And again, it could be a business, it can be an ownership interest. It can be family wealth or real estate, but it fits into what, as a family law attorney, I'm looking to protect, what a trust in a state and private wealth attorney is looking to protect. At the end of the day, the goal is the same. There's a commonality, which is we're looking to protect the client, protect an interest, protect something that's incredibly important to somebody and to figure out the best way to structure it. And you're right. If people aren't working together, if the goal is not identified, if the message isn't the same, and if everyone doesn't know what the goal is and what the strategy is, you end up in a situation where something isn't updated or something isn't taken into consideration because at the end of the day, everything needs to be in line to ultimately protect and preserve client's interest to the fullest extent. So as we start to think about rounding down here, do you have any funny or crazy stories that you can share? Or another thing that's interesting is I think there's page six on the New York Post often has a lot of crazy divorce stories. And that also the personalities around the family law practice can be either extremely aggressive or particularly quirky. Anything funny or interesting on that front that you run into? Yeah, it never seeks to amaze me what people will fight over and what people will spend their money fighting over. I've been involved in many high net worth cases where people will spend exorbitant 
amounts of sums on legal fees to fight over something that, you know, for whatever reason is just not important, you know? And at the end of the day, it's a cost-benefit analysis, right? Like most things, but people will fight over paintings and pictures and they'll fight over, to a lesser extent, the bowl that he or she received as a wedding gift. The stuff that people will fight over, not because they want it, because they just don't want the other person to have it. And a lot of times, you know, to touch on something that we spoke about earlier, you know, emotion, you know, drives the process, you know, and, and, you know, there's an expense and there's a cost to that. And so I've seen people fight over a lot of things that, quite frankly, I'll counsel them not to, because in the end, it's just not worth it. I will say that right now, everything that people are dealing with and going through with the coronavirus and the pandemic, for a lot of people, it's the Wild West. There's no playbook on how to handle certain situations. There's no script on how to deal with this. And so I think people are taking things day by day. I also work with athletes and entertainers, both in connection with the prenuptial agreement process and in connection with divorce. And I'll say, when you're working with personalities and professionals like athletes and entertainers and the complexities surrounding their financial compensation and structure, you find yourself working a lot with business managers and sports agents. So in terms of personalities, that's always a fascinating thing. Right. And I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure you've been brought in in all sorts of crazy situations. I tell the story, a very good friend of mine was going through a divorce and it was not good and very adversarial. But one of the funny things about it was that they ended up fighting over a cat and the wife was dead set on having this cat and all this. And he said, yeah, have the cat. And for some reason, this continued to be a real issue. And it turned out that he wrote a check for $500,000 to make that component of the divorce go away. The $500,000 and in the memo line, it says for one MF and cat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm laughing because it's true when I've experienced it. I've done parenting agreements for dogs. I've done parenting agreements for cats. I will tell you that you know what? When it comes to people's pets, for a lot of people, there's no cap on what someone will spend. I've seen agreements that cover dogs, cats, pets. I've seen agreements on personal property. For a week, someone's baseball card collection will be with one person. And for the next week, someone's baseball card collection will be with the other person. And you can sit here and tell me, Evan, that makes no sense. And I probably won't disagree with you. But in the world of divorce, that's emotional and that's tough to navigate. These are the arrangements that we end up you know, working through for people. So uh, Logic goes out the window. One thing we didn't touch on was things related to the kids and visitation rights. Is there anything people should be thinking about in terms of guiding through the rest of the family through the divorce process? Any tips that you've seen? Obviously, the pain doesn't just begin and end with the husband and wife, but the kids who are watching this process unfold, it's probably very difficult to create an environment of understanding, but I think it's probably important also. It's incredibly important. You know, I always encourage clients and parents that I speak with going through the divorce process, try to think about it from your kid's perspective. Think about how this is going to affect your children. As much as this is going to be a transition for the parents, it's going to be a transition for the kids and it's going to be hard and it's going to be challenging. And they're going to look to both their parents for support and for love and for encouragement. And the number one thing I tell all parents, try to have one clear message that you can deliver to your kids. Be on the same page. Try not to exhibit or show any conflict in front of the kids. 
right? This is going to be hard for the entire family, right? And it's not something that is going to get better tomorrow or in a month or probably even three months. And so I often recommend to, to parents to work with, right, a family therapist, to work with a child psychologist, because there's going to be challenges and there's going to be difficulties and trying to navigate this as a family, it's hard. But if you can be on the same page as your spouse and as the other parent, and if you can work together and put aside whatever differences that as husband and wife or as partners you may be going through for your kids, you will be much better parents because of it. And the truth is, and I tell this to everybody, you may, your relationship may not have worked out. Things may have ended and you may not have been the best spouse or best partner, but at the end of the day, you're going to be together in your children's lives forever. And things are going to come up, whether it's school events, proms, graduations, birthday parties, sports, and both of you are going to need to coexist in a world together, like it or not, for your children. And it's often something I tell people to never lose sight of. Well, as we think about winding down here, we're both big sports fans and trying to get through the desert of inactivity and having ESPN showing arm wrestling contests and things like that. Who are your sports teams and have they done in this quasi offseason? You know, I've got to tell you, Fraser, as much as I like seeing the arm wrestling, you know, I miss the days of putting on the TV and watching a basketball game, and baseball game. And I think it's hard. I think everybody across the country is dealing with a lot. And sports have basically been shut down, right? The NBA season has been canceled. The NHL season has been canceled. Major League Baseball, will it come back this summer or not? Will football start in the fall? And if yes, will there be fans in the stadium? For me, I'm excited for sports to come back with the NFL draft that took place a few weeks ago. It felt like the Super Bowl. <laughs> I was one of those people. I subscribed to Mel Kuyper's thing back when it was mailed to you back in the early 80s. The NFL draft is one of the most fun things for me anyway. And I watched every, not every pick, but a lot of them, certainly all on the first day. And I've gone, oh my gosh, this is amazing what this has turned into. Call me crazy, but in the absence of sports, not only did I watch it live all seven rounds for the three days, I taped it and then I watched it again. <laughs> We're all craving sports. It unites us as a country. It would be great to be back in a stadium cheering, rooting for your favorite team. Who knows if and when that's going to happen. I'll tell you this. And uh, as uh, you know, my friends that are Jet fans and as a New York you know, sports fan, seeing Tom Brady you know, go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was a big offseason move. And with the release of the NFL schedule, see Tom Brady is going to be uh, coming back to New York and playing the Giants early in the season. So I think there's going to be a lot of buzz surrounding that. Well, that would be if you're a Giant fan, that's when you hope they retire Eli Manning's number right in the middle of that game. <laughs> that would be a good time to do it, I would think. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. And I think the sports industry is like every industry. I think everybody's trying to figure it out and create excitement when leagues and teams are able to. I think the draft was the perfect example. But to go back to something we were talking about earlier, the way the draft was conducted through Zoom, and I thought it was extremely well done. It gave fans an inside look into players and their families and their home. And for seven rounds, you can see the enjoyment for a player and an athlete and their family when their name was announced and they were drafted. 
I mean, as a Redskins fan, I watched with the draft and the number two <laughs> pick with Chase Young was obvious and I'm thrilled with that. I think their defensive line is going to be nasty. The other couple of interesting picks, they got an interesting offensive tackle from LSU who had some problems named Shadiq Charles. So I'm hopeful that he can somewhat replace Trent Williams. But the two guys who I'm really fascinated with are sort of a running back wide receiver group, Antonio Gibson from Memphis and Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty. I, the skins have been breaking my heart for the last 25 years. I'm looking for enthusiasm on this side. You're a Jets fan, I take it? I'm a Giants fan, but I got to tell you, I appreciate you waiting until the end of this to tell me you're a Redskins fan because had you told me that in the beginning or had I known that, you know, it would have distracted me for the whole session. And the, story, <laughs> and the Redskins still chase young, right? Right from under the Giants. Look, I would love to see as someone who is a big sports fan and can appreciate sports and the rivalries between cities, between teams, and the excitement that rivalries bring a fan base, I would love to see the Redskins really go back to the glory days when they put out winning team after winning team and the rivalries with the teams in the division, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Giants. Once upon a time, that was the best division in football. It was hard-nosed, tough football, and the rivalries between the cities and the fan base, it was electric. When the NFC East was doing its thing, it reminded me of Big East basketball. It was just electric when the teams got together. And I'm conflicted on the Giants now because Daniel Jones, ex-Dukey, I'm hoping for his success. Daniel Jones, in many respects, he reminds me, and I know it's only been one season, he reminds me of Eli Manning, which I think early in his career, I think Eli, in his first year, there were struggles. You saw flashes of greatness and brilliance. And I think for Daniel Jones, I think the learning curve is going to be longer than Eli's was, just given the upbringing and all of that. But I do think he's going to have a good NFL career. Will he be the franchise quarterback? I don't know. Will he be the star worthy of a first round pick as the quarterback position? I'm not sure. But I think at the end of the day, if you can have a consistent, high-performing quarterback for 15, 20 years in the NFL... I think that's incredibly important. No question about it. He got drafted high, but if you've locked that in for 10 years, no one cares when you get drafted. No, and I got to tell you, you bring up the Big East, and as a Syracuse alum, it breaks my heart. I miss the days of Syracuse basketball and Georgetown and St. John's and the good rivalries and playing at Madison Square Garden. I mean, as a, I grew up here in New York, and those were really heady days. And then you know, I go down to Duke, and I caught that. My freshman year was when Leitner hit the big shot, so I was ruined for life uh, on that front because <laughs> it's never going to get any better than that. But the interspersal of the teams between these leagues, it's watered it down. It drives me crazy, and I love watching Syracuse, but they shouldn't be in the ACC. They should be back in the Big East fighting amongst the Northeast schools. That's right. You know, we went from taking down UConn, St. John's, and the likes, you know, going into Cameron, Windor, getting blown out by 20. <laughs> that may be temporary, but anyway. Well, great. Evan, thank you for being on. Definitely learn a lot on divorce and a little bit on sports, but it just goes back to the idea that it's important to do some good planning and to really have tough discussions when you need to, but also to surround yourself with a good team. No, absolutely. It was a pleasure being on. And again, Fraser, thank you for having me. Great. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Fraser. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice, author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager. Head on over to wealthactually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book, and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually.